Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Reese Black, Head of Workplace Design at Oyster, a global employment platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. Does learning end when we finish school? According to today's guest, Rajib Day, learning and development are lifelong endeavors. Rajib considers himself an accidental entrepreneur. He is the founder and CEO of Learnably, a workplace learning marketplace. We had a great conversation about Learnably's mission to create a progressive learning culture, how PeopleOps leaders can foster a learning environment during downturns, and why continued learning is especially important in the age of AI. Sure. So my name is Rajib Day. I'm the founder and CEO of Learnably. Uh, my background is very much as an accidental entrepreneur. So I started my first venture when I was 17, uh, which was a social enterprise for school students around giving them a voice in their education. Uh, then when I joined university, I studied economics and management and was the president of the Entrepreneur Society on campus. And I came up with my, my next venture, which was internships, a jobs platform to connect university students and graduates to internships and jobs in startups and SMEs. And then fast forward, so I was running that full-time out of university. Um, in 2010, I launched a national campaign with the government called Startup Britain, which was to promote entrepreneurship in the UK. Uh, and then having helped thousands of companies hire great people through internships, the question for me became, how do you develop them? How do you retain them? Uh, and increasingly, how do you attract people who want to know how am I going to learn and grow at this particular business? And that inspired me to set up Learnably, uh, the workplace learning marketplace, late 2016, early 2017. So as you three see throughout my journey, I've been very much, you know, an entrepreneur through and through, but never really had a proper job, uh, always worked for myself very much. I think an entrepreneur is, uh, is plenty enough a job uh, in most people's eyes. So you, you mentioned a little bit about Learnably. Can you please tell us about the, the driving mission behind Learnably? Yeah, so Learnably is a workplace learning uh, marketplace. So we curate content from over 200 different providers. Uh, we connect you to what you want to learn based on how you like to learn. So whether that be books, coaching, courses, conferences, we recognize that people learn very differently. So rather than being beholden to one particular, say, e-learning vendor that you may or may not like, and most people don't really engage with, with the vendor that they have in work, instead with Learnably, you get given a budget um, and you decide what you want to spend it on. It can be either an individual budget, a team budget, or a, or a central budget. And then you have a choice from, as I said, over 200 different suppliers if you like learning through books or doing e-learning, you can pick from all of these different vendors that are right for you. And so it's really about helping people achieve their full potential and recognize that the, the diversity in the way people learn and grow. And and the fact that the work, world of work is changing so rapidly, there's, there's new skills you have to develop all the time. It's just not possible for one particular vendor to be the best in breed and everything. So learnably, employers don't need to choose and, and be stuck with one. They can give employees a choice and it means that they only pay for the content that people actually want to use rather than guessing what someone might want, buying something in and then no one using it and you've wasted all that money. Fantastic. If you could distill down your 
overarching career mission to to an elevator pitch what would that sound like so i think the golden thread across my career is I, I use the word opportunity. So whether that be at, when I was at school, it's around giving school students an opportunity to have their voice heard, uh, whether that's at university with internships, the opportunity to work in startups and experience life as an entrepreneur, whether it's Startup Britain, it's the opportunity to be an entrepreneur. And now with Learnably, it's the opportunity to be your best self at work. So all of throughout my career, it's about empowerment and opportunity for people to really strive to 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 be better do better and and really be their best selves ultimately and this um i guess this focus or this thread of opportunity that you're mentioning throughout your career it, it sounds like a very big focus of yours has been around students it's been around new graduates young people in general why is it so important for you to to focus on on that particular demographic i think what's interesting is as I've grown up, my ventures have grown up with me. So obviously, I was at school, I started something for school students, I was at university, started something for university students. When I was in the world of work, I started something for other employees. So as I, said, I, I always scratch my own itch, as they say. I've never really set out to do something because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And then I've looked at the market and I've looked, done a kind of a market sizing exercise. It hasn't been that intentional. It's always been through lived experience. And so at the moment, obviously, I'm helping people in the world of work of all ages, all generations, upskill themselves, reskill themselves and, and be the best versions of themselves at work. I'd say, obviously, as I was a young person kind of growing up, I personally felt very empowered. I personally felt like I had opportunities and I wanted to give other people the same opportunities. I wanted other students to see that, you know, if they had a problem at school, if they wanted something to change something, they can have their voice heard. They are the customers in the education system, but no one was really recognizing that parents had a body giving them a voice teachers had a body head teachers had a body but who was really listening to the views of the customer back when we started student voice there really wasn't something and so that was really the driver there and that's kind of you know, stayed with me ever since which is really putting the customer in the heart of everything so even with learnably it's very much a learner employee driven platform it's about empowering the employee to own their own development treating them as an adult empowering them with a budget giving them that autonomy to choose which leads to you know, far higher levels of engagement than most other learning platforms in the industry hmm. that's a really interesting point in some ways it sounded like you're saying you're almost the the advocate for for that particular persona you were saying that there's there's support systems or, or institutions in place for for these other groups of people i said teachers or adults or, or with, um, with internships as well because uh, you know the, the, the fact remained that the aspiring bankers, lawyers, accountants all did internships. What can an aspiring entrepreneur do other than set up your own business? The best way to learn about enterprise is to work in a startup, but you wouldn't have those opportunities on campus because they don't have the brands of a Google, a Goldman Sachs, a McKinsey to come on campus, do the milk round. And so you've got all of these bright, bright young minds, these graduates and in, who want to be exposed. They want to see that there is another world out there, but they just kind of pigeonhole or they have very kind of narrow view of the world or the companies they see on campus. And so again, it's about representing and advocating for a totally different audience, which in this case with the startup SME community who didn't have access to bright talent on campus. Hmm. Actually, I guess a question on that that I'd be interested in, in hearing since since Learnerbly has been running for, for a few years, and I do think there's been some changes in that time. So have you seen a change from, as you say, the the, the more traditional, well-known, well-advertised 
routes for for students out of university and then now when the idea of i think i i would probably argue that the idea of a startup is a bit more common now is a bit more understood it is a bit more visible it'd be really interesting to hear have you seen a shift over the years maybe you feel like you are part of the 100 percent, and then that's partly why i personally moved on from working on learnably to the next big challenge which is so working on internships and moving on to the challenge of learnably uh, because part of the driver for me setting up internships was to change that mindset why i created a new word was like an internship rather than an internship it, there was a bigger purpose behind what i was doing similarly when i went on to set up uh, startup britain and co-founded that with a number of other entrepreneurs there wasn't the mass like awareness of being an entrepreneur but through the various initiatives in 2010 that we launched that over the years you know enterprise and startup rates significantly climbed and I would hope that you know I had a some part to play in that in that ecosystem change uh, but 100% there is far more awareness amongst young people about working in startups being an entrepreneur obviously the media and programs on TV um, have kind of contributed that to that as well but it's, it's also the drive of why I decided to move on because I felt that effectively my work was done in that arena it's time to solve another problem which is workplace learning and, and adult education. Very interesting. To kind of set the scene, why is learning and upskilling important for people as they move from their early career into you know, the, the, the middle of their career? So I would say that learning is imp- and upskilling yourself is important at all stages of the career. So no one should and can afford to stay still with the world of work changing so rapidly around us, with the rise of kind of AI automation technology. Anyone who becomes complacent is... I would say at risk of their career, their job is going to be changing drastically and they need to keep ahead of that. I think back to your question on why is it particularly important at the early stages, at that stage when you're first entering the world of work, you don't necessarily know what you're going to be good at or what you're going to enjoy. So in the first few years, you really need to figure that out for yourself and you don't necessarily want to get pigeonholed too early. It's not like studying medicine where you know the only the career path for you is being a doctor when you're entering a career in 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 other kind of fields which are not so prescribed and don't have such a linear kind of path you have to kind of make that path for yourself and so you might have a passion for marketing or you might have passion for kind of um, sales and and so in a way you can enter a particular job and then learn about other skills and try and apply those skills and, and work out early on, actually, am I in the right profession? Am I in the right career path? Because that's the time where actually you can afford to experiment a bit and try different things. And you know, as you get on in your career, there is an expectation that you will specialize more. But I think generally employers do appreciate well-rounded individuals and people that can, particularly if you're working in a startup environment, you're kind of expected to wear many, many hats. So the more you can make yourself well-rounded early on, it will give you better clarity that I'm on the right path. I think I'm doing the job that I'm best suited to. But at the same time, it will set you up with the skills that you need to thrive um, and you know, add value uh, to the job that you're doing. So you mentioned the, the, the rapid changes that we're seeing in the workplace and the skills and the knowledge that, that is necessary to keep up with that and that there is a risk of, of you falling behind. 
thinking about the the person that's listening to this podcast, the people leader that that's maybe thinking about L and D in their business, thinking about skills gaps, thinking about how to address those. What skills, what what courses, what areas of 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 interest or, or change have you really seen start to to pick up in popularity, pick up in importance that, as I said, that the person listening should should probably be aware of. I think there's some some things that we're seeing, which is kind of I'll, I'll pick up the AI bit and uh, separately because I think that's a whole separate topic that you can spend a lot of time on. If we look at zoom out and see like what are some of the popular areas of content and topics of interest, we work a lot with fast growth tech companies. A lot of our clients are kind of tech companies, so as you'd expect, technology design kind of content is is really high on the list of things that people are looking for. It's an area that's kind of evolving rapidly and I suppose because of our approach is that we have multiple different vendors there's something for everyone and uh, you know we have the most niche providers that specialize in a particular subject area uh, versus the kind of broader um, suppliers whether it be like a, a plural site or whoever it might be that you can find uh, on the marketplace. I suppose what's interesting is over the last two years and not unsurprising well-being, resilience, those kind of topics have really been popular and I think it's no surprise given the climate we've been in and how stressful it's been and uh, tumultuous for many people is how to cope in uh, an ever-changing environment and give yourself the tools to be to be resilient. And because of the nature of the companies we work with as well, first-time leadership resources are also really popular because they're often growing fast. People are thrust into management leadership positions that without any training or background. And so they kind of need to fend for themselves and upskill themselves really quickly. Specifically on the technology side, obviously AI is a really hot topic at the moment. So people are actively looking at learning more about tools, whether it be kind of ChatGPT or large language models, and just to get more proficient around the basics of the, the terminology. But this area is kind of moving so rapidly. It's kind of figuring out where where is this going? How is this going to impact me? But I think everyone needs to become proficient in understanding some of the basics of what can this do for my role? What can this do for the roles of my colleagues around me? And actually, arguably, the best skill set that anyone can have is being what they call a prompt engineer, which is now a job in its own right. How you write prompts for GPT as, as a tool, for example, will determine the output you get. And then also the critical thinking to understand is the output that I'm getting actually good? Is the AI hallucinating? Because that's a, that's a term where actually you, it's, it's spinning out rubbish and nonsense, which can actually happen. And if you just take everything verbatim for granted, then you know you could fall into a trap. So you still need a level of critical thinking to kind of validate is the output from the model and, and, and AI actually, does it make sense? So I don't think we can kind of switch our brain off and just rely on AI to do everything for us. And so those kind of skills of critical thinking, language, kind of prompting, prompt engineering, and then overall, the more human skills like empathy, particularly how you operate in a remote or hybrid world, how you connect with people where you're not seeing the, the kind of the nonverbal cues in person, how you can lead in a changing world of work is also really interesting and, and hot topic area. Okay, so we, we've spoken about the importance of education and uh, the, the development of skills for, for younger people as well. But I think it's important to, to talk about all 
stages of the of your employment journey we sometimes hear about generational gaps that can can exist in the workplace and and, and challenges that can come along with that so i'd be i'd really be interested to hear from your point of view from a from a a culture of learning point of view from a skill development point of view how how can that help deal with with skill based generational gaps it's an interesting one because i think there's a notion that there's a certain preconception that oh older generation people do not necessarily like online learning or like young people all like all like online learning and what's fascinating when you look at the data of requests on learnably is how popular something like physical books are across all generations. So when you give people a choice, and that's the thing with Learnably, is that you, you're letting employees choose what they want to learn based on how they like to learn. And they can choose from e-learning. They can choose from coaching, courses, conferences, and books. Books as a modality is really popular kind of across across generations. And you know, there's nothing saying that you know, the older generations are favoring a certain modality over another. So I think, in a way, learning is a, it's kind of a level playing field. If you take a topic like AI, no one can say that they're an AI native because it's literally, whilst it's, there's been in development for a number of years, if you think of how quickly in the last, say, six to nine months in terms of mass like awareness of it has come out, we're kind of on the same playing field. Whether you're, whichever generation you're in, you may be slightly more predisposed and comfortable with playing with technology if you are a digital native, for example, but generally, as long as you've got a growth mindset and a curiosity, there's nothing stopping someone from, a, from an older generation getting up to speed and being far more proficient than anyone who's younger. So I think that's what's interesting about it is that there's a level playing field in that respect. I totally take on board that those who are digital natives, they're being brought up with technology, they might just be more, they may possibly be more kind of comfortable with, with actually playing and testing things, but I wouldn't say that that is necessarily the case and with learning the good thing is it, it can be cross it brings generations together and that's what we see with learning is because there is an activity feed you can see what your colleagues are learning you can see what's trending in your industry um, it brings people together so your manager might have a similar learning goal to, to even you and as long as they're comfortable sharing that on the platform you can collaborate you can share resources and give advice to each other and support each other um, if that's relevant, if you feel that that's helpful, not necessarily your manager, but other people within the business, it can really help create community around the areas of, of development and interest that you have. That's a really interesting point. I, I kind of want to reiterate that point that you just mentioned, that the speed of change can level the playing field of learning. I guess in some ways, actually, the the, the previous experiences you may have can help, as you say, maybe, you know, it helps you uh, adapt to more digital native type changes that happen in the world, but they potentially also constrain you. They potentially, if you have preconceived mental models, you might, um, I mean, we know that humans are, are, are opposed to change in a lot of times. Uh, so actually coming into things with a fresh mind, you, you might actually be at, a dis at an advantage or, or at least not at a disadvantage. Totally. Yeah, it's all about the mindset. As long as you've got the growth mindset and curiosity, that's ultimately what matters, not necessarily your age, your background or anything else. I really enjoyed getting Rajib's insights into the importance of learning at all stages of the career journey and how PeopleOps leaders can encourage L&D when economic times are tough. 
I also found his point about AI leveling the learning playing field to be an interesting one. I wanted to ask him about how much control employees should have over designing their own learning and continue our conversation about how AI is changing the L&D landscape. So again, I, I always try to think about the person that, that's listening to this podcast, and uh, I'm sure they've they found a lot of this interesting, but they're also thinking about their, their, their own challenges they're dealing with as people leaders and the hundred fires that they are constantly putting out. So I'd be really interested to hear from your point of view, when it comes to L&D programs, when it, when it comes to uh, a people leader putting that in place in their, in their company, what does that bring to their business when, when it comes to engagement or productivity of their workforce, potentially even internal mobility as, as skills are developed within their staff? What does that actually um, result in? Well, I think a lot, a lot of businesses measure employee engagement. And one of the core drivers of engagement is personal growth. Uh, then personal growth is broken down into um, am I being promoted? Am I kind of progressing in work? And there's also what learning and development opportunities are there for me and so a lot of companies struggle with this because you can't necessarily promote everyone but there's no excuse why you can't invest in their development and that development and growth might even be laterally as well so uh, we were we had a webinar that we hosted um, last month with a company called next door and they were talking about their philosophy around being a talent garden rather than being a talent magnet they recognize that certain companies are talent magnets that compete on the basis of salary. And, you know, we, we give all the, the, the highest salary, highest perks and everything. And we're just going to kind of attract um, people like and a lot of the so-called fang businesses back in the day, or, you know, Meta, Amazon, uh, Google and whatnot. Businesses used to be seen as that. Obviously, the climate has changed massively uh, with, with the downturn and so on. Uh, but actually, you can compete on how well you develop people and how well you nurture your talent to become a talent garden and how that could be part of your employee value proposition. I want to be known as the place where people come, they learn, they grow, they excel. And yep, they might get poached by other people, but they also may stay. It's going to help them from a retention perspective. If you can keep challenging your colleagues, help them to progress, they feel that they're being stretched, that they're obviously being compensated fairly as well, but that's going to improve retention. It's going to improve engagement. There's been numerous surveys that have, um, and research from Deloitte and, and, and Gartner, a various report which have seen a correlation between higher learning, kind of learning cultures uh, and, and high performing learning cultures and ultimate kind of productivity and performance as a business. And ultimately, in a climate where you can't necessarily just hire your way and just fill roles uh, as easy as you would previously, you have to think about how can I make the most of the talent I've got today, which means I need to upskill and reskill people. And so to do that, you need to be clear on what are the skills you've got today, what are the skills you need in the various roles, and how can you support your people to get there um, in a world where there might be a hiring freeze, for example. And so there's, there's definitely a business case for investing. Uh, and also from a talent attraction perspective, where you are attracting people, it, it is becoming a question that people ask, like not just becoming, it has been now for a number of years, employees want to know, they'll look at Glassdoor, they'll read the reviews, you know, what are you doing to invest in me and my career? So it's quite multifaceted in that respect. And I don't believe that businesses can ignore this. I think there used to be a time where, yeah, there was this saying that in tough times, L&D gets cut. 
And I just don't think that is good enough. I think that's quite short sighted. Uh, and companies that have done that have, have really struggled because when the economy turns and, and it improves and, and people will remember that actually, you know, you you haven't really supported me. I feel feel stagnant here. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go somewhere where people do feel invested. And it doesn't also even have to cost a lot of money. I think that's what's important to remember is that there are many ways of developing. You can, yes, pay for external resources and, and opportunities, but there's also internal mobility opportunities we talked about. There's mentoring and shadowing and work and just volunteering opportunities. There are lots of different ways you can develop people, which doesn't necessarily have to cost you money. Yeah, it's a funny contradiction that, isn't it? When uh, when times are tough, L&D gets cut. Because, so we, we've had a lot of conversations about this, uh, both just in Oyster itself, as well as with our customers, that ideally you want to be able to decouple business growth from individual growth, right? Because when, when businesses are growing, as you're saying, people are being promoted and we're hiring and, and, and there's just a million things that need to be done because there's 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 so much demand for your, your product or your service. So it's uh, very easy to come by professional development in, in those cases just because there's there's just so much work to be done. But it shouldn't be necessarily the case that if that dries up, as it kind of has now for a lot of at least technology companies with, with the downturn, personal development, professional development shouldn't then suffer uh, or, or just be completely forgotten about because the the, 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 the growth of the business is, is not there anymore. And as you say, it's, it's almost a contradiction, right? Because if the if the business business isn't growing and the learn and the, the learning and development isn't intrinsic there anymore, then what else do you have to rely on? All you've really got then is more intentional L and D or the creation of more intentional L and D opportunities because as I said, the other thing's not there or, or is less than it used to be. Exactly. You're not necessarily going to be able to just promote people into that next role where they'll just learn by being exposed to that. Like You're going to have to be more conscious about how you support their growth, how you give them lateral opportunities. Um, and people will value that. I think they recognize that as long as you're upfront about the challenges the business is facing and... Yeah. Absolutely. So I guess linked to this, how much freedom should an, in, should a, an individual, should an employee have to design their own learning? Should it be something that is prescriptive or should it be something that is completely open for, for them to um, architect or, or is it somewhere in between? You know, as a company that really promotes kind of autonomy, you'd expect me to say, you know, should be kind of bottom up, employee driven. I would say it is something in between because for various reasons. One is that many companies, not all, will often have a compliance requirement. They just need people to do certain things. I wouldn't necessarily lump, I think L&D gets lumped, like, clumped together with compliance and it sometimes gets, often gets a bad name as a result of that because no one, I'm yet to meet someone who genuinely enjoys compliance training, right? They have to do it, tick a box. There's a place for that and absolutely. So that needs to be company driven because they need to make sure that they don't break any laws and the employees know the fundamentals of certain certain topics and, and issues. Um, the other reason where employer guidance and support is useful is, is people generally want to know how am I going to progress in a business? And so you might have a career framework which tells you the what, but it doesn't necessarily tell you the how am I going to do that. And so actually giving people guidance and and how they can do that is helpful. But then this is where the difference between 
guidance and prescription and mandatory learning comes in, right? So on Learnably, we have the concept of playlists where people can curate a playlist. Or it could be on a topic of interest. It could be around career paths and frameworks, whatever they want, but it's not mandatory. It's not, we're not measuring the number of minutes you're spending on it and forcing you to do stage one and then you can only move on to stage two. That is how the industry has typically operated. But what we find is that employees value the curation from industry and for company leaders, but they also value the autonomy. So giving the, them the freedom to choose what they learn um, with, with the kind of parameters and guidance, giving them a budget to, uh, to operate with. Of course, there are still approvals. There, you know, managers approve requests that are made. It's still company money that you're spending. But it is about, I think, finding a balance. And, and the industry for too long has been quite heavily focus on the company and the ad and like admin it's been quite compliance driven um obviously what we're about learnably is making sure that the learning is connected to business goals and objectives and the way to do that is by articulating you know what is it that the company is working on what are the skills that they're looking for giving people access to it and then also having a conversation so some so one thing that we don't do is we don't block off content to people so we've sometimes been asked in sales calls okay is it possible that my salespeople only see sales content? That's not something that we philosophically agree with because what's often more interesting is if a salesperson is requesting some design content, rather than them never seeing the design content, the better question is for the manager to ask why. Why is the employee in sales requesting design content? Is it because they want to uh, pitch a massive design agency and they want to learn more about it? Is it because they actually desire to move into that industry and that area later down the line? If it is the latter, have a conversation with them. Because if you want to retain that person, is there an opportunity for them to explore that skill set within your business? Whereas if you had closed them off and just judged them as a salesperson that's only ever going to be a salesperson, that's a surefire way of losing them because they will leave your business to go pursue their desire in design somewhere else. So I think actually this is where you need that flexibility and to really treat your your employees as adults and respect and trust them, but give them the guidance, point them in the right direction. You can have the controls in place as well, but it's about striking that balance. So I want to change gears a little bit onto another interesting topic. So I want to talk to you about how L&D relates to community and the sense of community inside of a company. Uh, and specifically with the knowledge of remote teams, distributed workforces, uh, I would love to hear your experiences. How, how, how does that fit into that equation of, of belonging? How does it help people, leaders to, uh, to, to create these kind of cultures? Yeah, it's a great question. I think learning is a great mechanism for to create a sense of belonging um, and community. So the way we do that at Learnably is by the social features on the platform. So you can see an activity feed of what your colleagues are learning and um, anything you request on the platform, you can see who else has requested that. Now, obviously you can choose to not share that if you for any reason feel uncomfortable, um, but it is about creating that sense of community. And what we found is there's a Slack integration is that you know, if someone requested book, we had this with uh, Atomic Habits, the book, um, one person requested it and then five other people requested it straight after them. They created a book club, a virtual book club on the back of that, where they would check in on a weekly basis on you know, what have you read this week, like what chapter are you on, and let's discuss it. And particularly in a remote or, or, or hybrid world, you're not necessarily having those water, classic kind of water cooler chats. You're not overhearing a conversation that, oh, Raj is going to this event, or I just learned this, or I've just had an amazing conversation with this coach, or 
you're just not getting those kind of learning through osmosis anymore. So you have to be far more intentional about how you create a, a, a strong and vibrant learning culture and therefore doing that by sharing what you're learning, having that visibility and what other people are doing is a great way of doing so. And also recognizing that we all have development areas. It's not just putting leaders on a pedestal who are perfect because no one's perfect. Everyone has opportunities to grow. And I think it makes leaders feel far more human, makes people feel kind of valued and invested in. And it makes people know that learning is not that you have a problem with you that we're trying to fix. It's about actually everyone is on, on the quest to be better and the company values people with a growth mindset that want to invest in themselves. So I think it's a, it's a really powerful way of helping people uh, feel a sense of belonging to a community, a community where a company recognizes that we want everyone to be their best selves. So I want to spend the, the, the last few minutes coming back to the conversation on AI, because I think it's such a big one and, and, and such a, a timely one that it's, it's worthwhile spending a bit more time, especially if we're talking about uh, skill development. So there's lots of doomsday stories that we're, we're uh, all going to be controlled by our AI overlords soon. But then there's uh, just conversations about job security and anxieties about AI taking uh, taking jobs. How does upskilling knowledge uh, and development factor into this question um, should we be trying to compete with the ai should we be adapting and making it our tool rather than it being in direct competition with us what does it look like i, I think it's the latter right it's about adapting the way we work recognizing that there are some potentially some more mundane tasks that we do um, that can be automated through ai that could be far more efficiently done through ai Yes, there'll be some functions that will significantly be impacted where if you think about how AI has been used in kind of image generation, right? So that's just, just it's scary how good that's getting and its role in, in marketing and in creating copy and whatnot. It's not going to necessarily get rid of you, but it means that it, it, can, it can potentially reduce your workload by 50% or, or more in some cases, depending on what work you actually do. So I think it's a case of getting smart and savvy with it. And I was actually speaking to uh, our lawyer uh, the other day, and, and he was talking about how they're experimenting with AI in, in their law firm and how amazed he's been at how um, these new AI tools can help kind of mark up kind of a legal document, which would have taken three hours in three minutes. And, and so it's about staying on top of it rather than being caught by surprise. What you don't want to happen is to be like waking up one day and actually the whole world is evolved around you and you're like, still stuck with your legacy processes, still got your same headcount, same people doing the same roles. It's about bringing the company on that journey with you. But it's also about having an AI, I think, philosophy, because I think the thing that businesses are struggling with right now is given the, some legal, the legal ramifications in some cases, because of the fact that these are open LLMs, um, you have to be conscious about what you're feeding into, say, ChatGPT, and the fact that it can will be shared and it becomes kind of open. That that is a risk to many businesses. Now there are companies that are coming out to kind of tackle this, but this industry is changing so rapidly; it can feel really overwhelming. Um, so I think the the key thing I would say is be curious. Join groups, like I'm in a whole range of communities of founders and people that are in, in WhatsApp groups or Telegram groups around AI, just, just to keep, like, I'm no expert myself, 
but just to keep abreast of what are some of the emergent trends, what are the potential watchouts and risks. But think about how there are lots of articles and lots of people kind of sharing insights around AI for marketeers, AI for sales, AI for like whatever it might be. Make sure you spend some time investigating because if it can make your job easier, quicker, why not? Then you can spend more time doing higher value tasks and using that critical thinking, which is something that AI is going to struggle to kind of replicate at that level anytime soon. Not saying it's going to be impossible. Um, or, or the more human focus and facing things like coaching your team, leading with empathy, those kind of things that AI is just not going to be, be able to do. So I wouldn't be scared of it. I would see it as an opportunity um, and make sure you stay on top and be ahead of the curve because you'll also be ahead of your peers uh, as well, which will help you stand out in work and any future employment opportunities that you go on to as well. Yeah. I think uh, I, I'm going to have to paraphrase it, but there was a quote that I heard. I think it was from Mo Gildat, the, the ex-CEO of Google X. He was saying that we're not competing um, with AI. We're competing with the person that's being 10x that's using AI. Yeah, exactly. It's, and, and, and I guess that trend has been going on forever, right? Uh, when you were using a typewriter and then the, the first person started using a computer, still two people competing against each other. They're just using technology to, to get leverage. Uh, okay. So uh, we're, we're rapidly running out of time. <laughs> so we're talking about AI, we're talking a bit about the future. So this leads into the, I guess, the name of this podcast and the next question, which uh, is, what are your predictions? What are your predictions for the future of the workplace, whether it be specifically about learning or otherwise? So I think building on the AI question, um, we are going to be entering a world where every role in some shape or form is AI augmented um, and every role will change. Some roles may see 90% of its function as it is today changed drastically, maybe even 100%, but I think most roles will see some level of, of change. Um, and so I think that the key will be how we keep up with that. I definitely see remote and hybrid world work here to stay. I don't see a return to uh, the, the, the kind of pre-COVID days of everyone being in the office uh, every day of the week, uh, particularly not in the industries that we operate in. I think that is a recipe for disaster. And I think companies who recognize that employees are adults, they're individuals, they, you know, we shouldn't kind of infantilize them and try and kind of dictate and control everything. Those that like top talent, always have options uh, and so um, we will see we're already seeing a shift of more personalization in people's work experience in general whether that be through the benefits or through learning that they kind of experience but that i think will continue to happen because employees will simply not tolerate being a kind of a one-size-fits-none approach which is kind of what's happened uh, historically they're going to expect to get a mo the, the, the best personalized experience for them Fantastic. And then last question, and this is a question that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast. What's the what's the best mistake you've ever made and why? Okay, I'm going to caveat the answer to this question firstly from with my perspective on mistakes. I really struggled when I knew you I knew you were going to ask me this question. I really struggled. And the reason I struggled is that I don't really see anything as a mistake. And this is a bit of my kind of the kind of a mental mindset and philosophy. Um, everything I think that's happened to me 
has happened really like it's a learning it end up kind of being for my best and so I have no regrets and often the other question I get asked is like what would you tell your younger self and like is there anything you would do differently and, and again no I wouldn't now if I'm if you force me to kind of say like what is something that someone may see as a mistake is like if I go wind back the clock right to the time that I was leaving university and setting up internships internships at the time was a simple listing site just for Oxford students it wasn't really necessarily going to be a business per se but I was approached by a company who were in the recruitment space in, re in the kind of recruitment marketing space and they said look this is really interesting what you've got here why don't we work with you to set something up more kind of like properly um, but you know you're you're a student um, you've clearly got no money uh, we'll build you a website and we'll take 40% of the company and at that point I really didn't understand the value of equity I didn't really understand the mechanics and I was like you know what why not you know I probably wasn't going to really focus on this necessarily um, and so you know the question was like what's the best mistake you made you could see that as a mistake like I clearly didn't know the value of equity what ended up happening was a number of a few years passed and I managed to renegotiate that situation and, and significantly reduce that equity stake that they had but I didn't think it should be zero because ultimately because of their intervention and then approaching me I decided to pursue internships and subsequently I am where I am today and so therefore you could say it was the best mistake but again I never saw that necessarily until I was forced to reflect on this particular question and think about an example and I wouldn't necessarily see it as a mistake and so it's just generally my mindset which is you know my colleagues always laugh about being the eternal optimist but I generally always see the positive in every situation. I really enjoyed getting to speak to Rajiv about his career journey and what he is building at Learnably. Here are my key takeaways from this episode. Make learning a conversation. While some learning does need to be prescribed, make employees part of the conversation. Making them active participants in choosing what and how they learn creates a more engaged community. PeopleOps leaders need to be more intentional in creating a learning environment. In the age of remote work, employees are less likely to pick up new information around the water cooler. PeopleOps leaders need to make L&D a priority and ensure employees know where and when they can access information. Learn to use AI as a tool. Rajiv stresses that AI will impact jobs, and we should all be upskilling and learning to use it as a tool in our jobs. Those that don't risk being left behind. Thank you for listening to New World of Work, the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens. We hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners. I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.